0: Hey
1: there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com and I'm very thankful to have this follow-up conversation with Brother Aaron Boone about the seven churches in Asia from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in a Bible study called Postmarked Heaven. So we've, we've spent part of the time in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now we're going to finish up that Bible study by looking at the rest of the churches that Jesus wanted to speak to directly based on some of the problems that they had, some of the great faith that they had. This is filled with encouragement. It's filled with admonition, with exhortation, and with rebuke for those who need it. One of the great takeaways from this for me is that I can apply this same teaching, the same warnings, the same faithfulness to my own life, and you can too. Into the church that I work with, and the church that you're a part of. So let's jump back into the conversation and consider the message, shall we? Here we are again, uh, looking at the seven churches of Asia with Brother Aaron Boone. I didn't introduce you really, as far as uh, in I guess in my uh, together introduction. So let's maybe talk about it now. If we didn't talk about it together beforehand, where you living? And what are you doing? <laughs> yeah.
0: So my address, no, I'm just
1: kidding. Uh, I live in Arlington, Texas. Okay. And I work uh,
0: as an evangelist with the Green Oaks Church of Christ. Okay. Um, I've been doing that. I've been working here for about a year now. That's right. Um, before that, I was extremely blessed. My wife and I had an opportunity to do some foreign work in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're happy to be back in the States. We love it here. Uh, and Texas has been kind of a great work for us and... Uh, the members there have been have been great, and so we're we're thankful for this opportunity.
1: So I'm going to ask you the most challenging question of the whole recording. Yeah, do you consider yourself a Californian living in Texas, or are you a new Texan? <laughs> so here's the thing: if I answer that truthfully,
0: your audience might turn off the podcast. <laughs> but California California's home, in my opinion.
1: Well, my audience knows that Oklahoma is my home, and yeah. that Texas is the land of Moab. So right.
0: <laughs> Well, at least at least you're not Sodom, USA. So,
1: <laughs> no, I I I do love and appreciate where I live. I'm married a Texan, so yeah. I'm here for the long haul. It would seem, but uh, anyway, I wanted to just get your pick your brain on that for a moment. Yeah. Uh, let's jump back into Revelation chapter two and three. Yeah, we're talking about these seven letters. How special it is to get a letter from a loved one. How special it must have been to get a letter from Jesus. And even though you know it would have the pen of John and it would have been delivered by just some of his messengers and aides, the uh, source of it is going to be from Jesus Christ. So, man, this has got to be special to receive. Oh, yeah. And, go ahead. I was
0: saying, uh, one thing we didn't notice in the very first uh, podcast was in each of these letters, God introduces himself with a different title. So... The church here in Thyatira, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like brass. So he's giving Mm -hmm. a a part of who God is in each Mm -hmm. letter. And he always notes, I know your works. So he's reminding them of the personal
1: nature that he has with each congregation. I know your works. Mm -hmm. And he ends it with, to he who overcomes, I will give. There's these seven uh, highly figurative gifts Mm -hmm. that were given. But, you know, I think at least on the surface, a great takeaway is the blessings that we have in Christ whenever we stay faithful. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so much there, and um, I'm excited to jump into a little bit more. The fourth church that we're going to talk about is Thyatira, and Thyatira had some issues. Uh, Now, specifically, you know, you mentioned just a bit ago that uh, I know your works, Mm -hmm. but to Thyatira, he says, the last of their works were more than the first. What does that phrase imply? In my opinion, it implies one of the greatest compliments God could
0: give someone, and that's growth. He's saying, you know, your first work started small, and now your works have grown. They're more than what you started on. That's growth, right. and that's, that's the goal of anyone. Paul condemns people in his letters for still being infants in the Scriptures mm-hmm. when they should be adults. Right. And now God is saying, you're growing. That's, that's a great concept for a church and a spiritual person as an individual.
1: Now, there's always kind of the, well, I shouldn't say always because we are going to read a church in a little bit that doesn't have any good qualities. But Mm -hmm. generally, uh, Jesus begins with a, here's what you're doing right, and here's what you're doing wrong. So what they're doing right, there's this growth, that's very encouraging. However, they're also doing some things that are wrong. What exactly is going on there?
0: They had, you know, I'll read it. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, verse 20. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach, seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. As a congregation, they had kind of compromised their truth. they mm-hmm. compromised their original uh, reason for faithfulness to God and his commands. Right. And they're letting people come in. He says you allow. Uh, other versions will talk about that as not just allowing but tolerating right and so within their midst they're tolerating false doctrine Mm -hmm. and they're compromising and allowing uh this to be within their congregation this isn't that far off from the previous church either uh they just like thyatira had allowed false doctrine to come in and so they are two very similar situations one allowed false doctrine to come in and now this congregation in thyatira is allowing this again and they're you know letting it happen within their walls
1: you know, trying to avoid conflict is something that I can be guilty of. And I know others are as well. We just, if we could avoid conflict, but sometimes it's to our detriment. You kind of get the feeling that maybe what's going on here, that there may be some people who have good intentions, but sometimes you can't be a peacemaker, you know? Yeah, and that point could definitely be drawn
0: from this with, you know, they're growing, so obviously they're not spiritually stunted people. They're working towards maturity and yet they have this uh false doctrine going on within and they seem to be tolerating and compromising. And that often does come from people being, you know, overly nice, not right. recognizing the point to step in and say enough's enough. Right. Um and I'm not the example on that in any way,
1: you know, it's a, a hard line to Well, you know who is? My wife.
0: Yeah. <laughs> She knows when enough. My is enough, wife
1: huh? knows when enough is enough. She is so good at, yeah. at difficult conversations, and I'm the opposite. I'm really have, I struggle to yeah to sometimes be the guy that steps in to say, "Hey, we need to talk about this." But I want to throw a shout out to my lady. She go. does a good job. Good, and that <laughs> you we always need people
0: in our lives like that, right? Whether to tell us to calm down a little bit, or to help us grow to be a better person Mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's whether they're being too nice, whether they have fully compromised and are embracing of this person. uh, We don't fully know, but that's definitely a reason compromise occurs. Yeah. Because people are, we don't like, most people don't like confrontation.
1: Right. I like the, some of the scriptures you have here at the end of your uh, thoughts on this church, specifically Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. You know that, phrase make no provision for the flesh. Yeah. What provisions can you make for it? None. There's not right. any you can make for the flesh. Or I think it's 2nd 2 Timothy 2, 22, says flee youthful lust. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to respond when youthful lust comes? You flee. You don't sit and make a make nice with it or try your best to get along with it. You're supposed to flee. You make no provision for the flesh. Yeah. And it seems like that's the opposite of what they did. They they had some works, they were growing, but they were also making provisions. For the flesh
0: you know I think um, it reminds me of first Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul tells them to flee idolatry and that literally means to avoid by flight just get out of there yeah don't don't let that be a part of your life and you know your actions because of the destruction it brings yeah uh, yeah I love that make no it's
1: just a, a banner make no provision for the flesh I'm gonna put you on the spot here with a question that's not in the notes okay but, um can you give maybe to some of our younger viewers some suggestions on how to flee? I mean, it's really easy mm-hmm. to talk about it theoretically, but oh yeah, how you know what do I do? To uh, I mean, I have to have a phone, mm-hmm. maybe, and maybe the phone is whatever is on it is the source of my temptations. I've got to go to work. Maybe I've got temptations at work. I've mm-hmm. you know what wherever or whatever it may be. Do you have a yeah one two three things you might suggest? I hope they don't sound childish or
0: anything. The first one is always pray, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always found, and this is something that is I found within my life, you can't sin when you're praying. <laughs> and so, prayer is is always something important. But extending past that, having someone to hold you accountable, sure. And being truthful with that. Because it's sure. easy to have someone hold you accountable and then lie to them. Right. And say, oh, yeah, I've been I've been good with this. And so have someone who can hold you accountable. And have the right priorities. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, if there's something on your phone that is, you know, their phone makes pornography an easy outlet. Right. You can do it in the privacy. No one will ever know. Mm-hmm. If heaven is such a great place that you want to be there, there's and we they're called child child you can child proof your phone. Right. Where those things can't happen on your phone. And right. it seemed immature, like I'm an adult. I'm not gonna child proof my phone. But if it's gonna keep you mm-hmm. out of sin, why not? Exactly. I mean, you're just not you can go to your Bible websites, you can go to your sports websites, you can go to all your normal websites, but it prevents you from going to sinful sinful sites. Mm-hmm. And so if it's going to keep you out of if if those sites will keep you out of heaven, childproofing your phone is the most mature thing you can actually do, even though the term childproofing doesn't sound mature. It is something that is very much helpful if it if needed. That's not not everyone's tempted that way. Sure. But if you are, you know, the honesty of saying I want to get to heaven has to be there and say, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, Paul says, you know, I, I beat my body into submission. Not that he was literally beating we assume and know, but you know, he did whatever it took to fight the good fight and to allow the flesh no provision. Yeah. And then you just, you know, we said no provision. If your phone's going to be a provision, you got to deal
1: with it. Yeah. Um yeah. You well, can't it. you can't flee. Yeah. If you're not willing to do whatever it takes to flee. Yeah. So I like that.
0: I I I have a friend who actually has a who has a flip phone now. <laughs> and uh i laughed too but it, it was it was a struggle for him and he worked and he said okay even though it's embarrassing i don't have the uh the amazing you know outlets that a smartphone gives me but the flip phone is what did it for him and it helped him so some get... being willing to do something uh, is
1: going to be your greatest tool sure so sure great great thank you yeah. let's um So let me maybe sum up what we've done so far. Yeah. We've talked about a church that needed to keep Jesus first. We've talked about a church that needed to be faithful to death. They didn't have anything wrong. They just needed to be encouraged to be faithful to death. Uh, We had two churches that were similar. Mm -hmm. One was told to be cautious about inward corruption, and the other was told to not compromise. And so here we are in a fifth church church and this church is given this idea of, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) I thought it said never give up but then I realized it didn't. This church has this, maybe it's summed up with the idea of never stop growing and it seems like they had. So if we're looking at Sardis in Revelation chapter three right at the beginning, it says they had a name that is alive but being dead So what does that mean to have a name of life, but to be dead? What's going on in Sardis? They
0: had this outward physical appearance of being alive and being a vibrant congregation. But God, who from the very beginning has shown that he knows the inward parts of man. He knows your heart. He knows, you know, what you're doing and your thoughts. He says, you're not actually alive. Mm -hmm. We're dead. While you might be putting on a show for everyone else. And we talked about that in the previous podcast with. Being authentic in your actions right you're not you're you're dead on the inside and I'm seeing that your authenticity isn't there and so this goes back to we might say the first church right who as a congregation had all the works but their love wasn't there hmm this congregation doesn't have the works but their, oh this congregation has the outward
1: show right but their inward isn't there either so. Yeah, the, I can't decide if number five or number seven is the church that would scare me the most if I received that letter. I think it's this one. Yeah. But number five and number seven both are, are very, um, the picture that's painted, the idea of a dead church uh, is just so frightening to think of. What maybe has caused their death? What What, at what point, or what has, I guess, got to this point where they're, they have a name of being alive, but the inside's just dead.
0: Well, it seems in verse two and a little later on that they've stopped being watchful. They've stopped paying attention to the things that they need to be paying attention to, and they have allowed distractions to come into their life and overcome uh, and take play the place of God and the things they need to be paying attention to. His- it's almost like
1: it's almost like they're satisfied in who they are without Jesus. Whereas being satisfied in who Jesus has made them. Yeah. We could be the same today. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's easy. Look how righteous I am can really turn into look how self-righteous I am. You know, you've got the plank in your eye, but you can't even see it.
0: Oh, yeah. They, as a congregation, they've taken their eye off and he tells them, you need to strengthen yourself. So they've stopped uh, strengthening themselves and we see and we learn how to strengthen ourselves by reading God's word, by consuming it. Uh, and feeding ourselves with it. And so they've really taken their eye off the prize, it seems like. And because of that, they know, you know, it's like that, it's like me, for instance, uh, who's been raised kind of with this religion in the church. Right. I know what I'm supposed to do. And so so they know what they are supposed to do, but the inside, their heart's not right. Yeah. And so as a congregation, that's still
1: condemned. Yeah. So, you know, there, lest we skip over them there are some that it does say that their garments were not stained yeah you now their garments are still white so we have a church here that is in name alive but is dead but there are still some faithful folks yeah and I think they're they're going along with the theme that you have of never giving up of always growing because even whenever the majority have given up you can be part of the catalyst for change yeah and you have some scriptures That go along with this idea of increasing faith, of growing and not being satisfied with where you are. What what are some of the ones you got written down?
0: Well, in Luke 17, verse five, Jesus gives that, you know, blatant statement, increase your faith. And so build upon it. You're always growing. And that's what is has stopped here in Sardis. They've stopped growing. They might have that outward look, but inwardly they're dead. He says so. you stop. Death is, you know, the end. You don't grow. And so they stopped growing, and Jesus continually gives this admonition to increase your faith, to grow, to build upon it. You know, we see in Paul's letters, add to your faith virtue. And so we're building, and we're growing, Mm -hmm. and we're working towards maturity. Over in Colossians 1, verse 10, Paul would say, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's giving this command and this called to be pleasing to god and he goes how will be fruitful and increase in your knowledge right you know what you know as a infant cannot be everything you know
1: once you're a mature person Mm -hmm. Uh, like you haven't grown we're both on the younger side of preaching how about that sometimes i'm start i'm starting to worry when i lump myself in with the younger folks because a lot of the teens at my congregation call me yes sir and do See me with the older crowd. But we are on the younger side, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, right? We're both under 40. (laughs) For our audience who's over 40, that's uh, maybe That's your older side. (laughs) Now, my point is this. The older I get, Mm -hmm. the more I realize there's opportunity to grow and that I don't have it figured out. I feel like I had it all figured out when I was probably 18. Mm -hmm. And then every year since, I've realized a little bit more that I don't have it all figured out yeah so there's the admonition for those that feel like they got it all figured out right you don't yeah there's always room to grow
0: yeah you know uh to quote star wars there's always a bigger fish (laughs) and there's always someone who knows more than you and a preacher named barney owens used to tell me he said don't be jealous when someone knows more than you be thankful Mm -hmm. sit and learn and that was one of the, he, he told me that multiple times and I have it, it written in my phone, that concept where don't be jealous. Yeah. Be thankful that someone knows something you don't so you can grow and learn. Yeah. Because you may never study it the way that person did. And so being willing to always learn and you know grow from what other people have to offer is something that all of us need to develop.
1: That's good. I'd like to keep talking about it, but... I think we're going to move on to uh, church number six. And this is, for those who are wanting to play Bible trivia, the second of two churches that didn't have anything wrong. This is the church at Philadelphia. And uh, you've kind of summed it up as uh, numbers mean nothing when God is on your side. I feel like some of our people need to hear that because it's really easy whenever it's you and maybe a few and you look across town and there's a group that's filling up a football stadium or something every Sunday. And you think, yeah. man, they've got it all and we've got nothing. Yeah. Uh, what What can we learn from Philadelphia?
0: Well, I'll let you know when when I studied this, this was probably, and like you said with the previous church, that's the most scary. This might have been one of the most encouraging. Just this concept that numbers really mean nothing when God is on yeah. your side. And it's such a cliche and we know it. Mm-hmm. But God really throughout scripture tells the congregations and Christians to embrace that cliche. Right. And thrive through it. Yeah. Um,
1: hey, small churches in this COVID crisis are are doing a whole lot better than big churches, right? They don't have to worry about social distancing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's your lemonade out of life's lemons. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, um, you know, on a more serious note, you have people who are feeling alone, isolated, and yet they're... Encouragement is God's got this. Don't worry about what the numbers are.
0: Yeah, and to highlight that, Paul, John is going to define them in a way that I would say no human wants to be defined. In verse 8, he says of chapter 3, for you have little strength. Uh, I mean, I work out. I like to, <laughs> I won't want to be known as the weak person. And that's exactly what John is saying to them. He said, you're weak. Yeah. And that you're physically weak. No one wants yeah. to be have that title. But that's what he's saying. You're weak. But you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Mm-hmm. And so physically weak, they're small, but they're being extremely faithful. And so I like how God puts it. Indeed, in verse 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Philadelphia is weak. They're small, but they haven't denied God. They're faithful to God. And God says those who are the synagogue of Satan, again, a very similar term we talked about earlier. Yeah. So there again, small congregation, faithful, going through hardships, lots of sin around them. Mm-hmm. And God says, I've got this. I will make them. Yeah. I will take care of it. And so that's an amazing picture.
1: Now, you have several scriptures that that help us understand the weakness and, and small numbers, uh, God likes to use those. Before you share some of yours, it makes me think of one. It's in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, um, where Paul says, uh, or rather, he's quoting, you know, three times he prayed that the Lord would take away this thorn in the flesh, and the Lord said, my uh, grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. So then I've learned to be content with that because When I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. So there's uh the idea of humility. You have to humble yourself in the side of the Lord so that he can do the lifting. Yeah. And not you.
0: Oh yeah. And that that's a theme throughout scripture. Um I really enjoyed studying Second Kings chapter six. Uh there's a lot of amazing insights there as uh the enemies of the nation of Israel get ready to battle Israel. Uh the king of the enemy is constantly thwarted. He's constantly, you know, making a plan to attack and then finding out it doesn't come through. Right. And to the point where he calls his wise men in and says, we, we've got a rat. We've got a spy in our camp. And they say, no, no, no. And this is probably worried for their own lives. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't have a, a spy. It's the prophet Elijah. He knows what the king plans in his bedroom. <laughs> and so there's this amazing picture of God's prophet, and he's helping God's people out. And so the king immediately says all right we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna stop the prophet Elisha because that's you know that's the problem and they surround him and he wakes up Elisha wakes up with his his friend his servant there and the servants panicked Mm hmm and Elisha doesn't pray God take care of these this enemy he says open the eyes of my servant yeah the servant's eyes are opened and he sees this you know multitude of God's army surrounding them right and the fear is gone mm-hmm. and there's it's two versus an army and yet when the eyes are opened of this servant it's wow yeah wish i had those goggles right <laughs> right and we, we're gonna we see that again in psalm thirty three sixteen through 19 the psalmist notes that no king is saved by a multitude of armies that it's not how big your army is it's not how many horses you have or men foot soldiers you have You're saved through God. Mm -hmm. And like you said, with Paul's thorn in the flesh, God is showing his strength and weakness. And the world can't always see that. But God is really calling his people to embrace that cliche that you're not alone with him. Right. And, you know, be successful through that.
1: Well, Philadelphia is such an encouraging church. I I wish it was the last one. You know, it'd be nice to end on a, Positive note, this inspiring, and then and then now let's offer the gospel invitation. However, there's one more church, and this one is almost as terrifying as Smyrna, the dead church, because of just the description that Jesus uses to describe his feelings towards them. Let's spend some time with with the church in Laodicea. What what do we find going on here? And um, you, you talk a little bit about. A historical background maybe that would help us understand so can you maybe begin there and help us appreciate this extreme image that he's going to use about lukewarm water
0: yeah well i'll give you maybe two quick views on this whole whole thing we've often uh you'll read kind of two two sides that hot is good cold is bad and lukewarm is the worst uh, i've struggled with that as of recently now there's commentators and writers who have shown why Jesus would say I'd prefer you to be cold if cold is bad uh, they might say it's easier to convert someone who recognizes that they're in sin and sure. so it's easier to sure. convert someone who's cold and knows it than someone who thinks they're okay right. and isn't but Jesus or Jesus through John does say I'd prefer you to be hot or cold and so reading that in the context of history I think there might be a different way to take this. Okay. What I mean by that is, uh, I believe there's a reference here to the church that the church would have picked up on immediately. Mm-hmm. The reference uh, being this. So Laodicea as a, as a city uh, didn't really have its own water source. So it had two main waterways built, and that's where they got their water from. Okay. One uh, came, uh, let's see my map that I have. One came um, about six miles to the north from Hierapolis. Where there was hot springs, the other came about ten miles to the east, where an aqueduct ran from the mountains, which would get snow and be cold. Oh wow! Okay. And so you had these two kind of water sources for this large city, right? And the cold water, if you could get it cold, was great. It had its you know benefits. It's refreshing. better to drink. It's refreshing. Hot water uh, has its benefits, cleansing. It's you know useful in medical fields. Sure. And so both are helpful. And whether or not this is the right way we take this, this make sense within the context of the time. Right, okay. And they would have understand that, that cold water's great, hot water's great, both have their uses, but if the water takes too long to get to the city, it becomes lukewarm, it's not that great. You don't want to drink lukewarm water. Right. You can bathe in it, but it's still, it's not as good as the other two. Sure. And you have to do things to it to make it. You have to cool it or heat it up again. So it's kind of worthless until you do something to it. Mm-hmm. And that seems mm-hmm. to be the message that Jesus is getting across here, that be useful. You can be cold water and be useful. You can be hot water, be useful. But as soon as you become lukewarm, you're not useful until something is done to you to help you become useful again. And so that's the, the point that the church here is, is missing. They're not being useful with their materials, with their actions, with their
1: spiritual life. Now, this church in Laodicea, they were, you know, a pretty wealthy group, apparently. And he uh, advises them to really buy true riches and not focus on what they thought was valuable. So they had misplaced priorities. Obviously, they, they the heart of it is that they were not being useful. They were squandering the gifts that were in them. Yeah. How can we fall into the same trap today? In the same way, by
0: not being by not putting them to work. You know, I, my mind always goes to the parable of the talents. You mm-hmm. have three servants. You know, one is given five, and one's given two, and one's given one talent. And the five doubles, the two doubles, great. doesn't matter that they didn't have equal amounts. It doesn't matter that the guy who d- had two didn't make it up to ten. He used what he had, and he was successful in working with it. And then there's the wicked servant, who the master says, you could have at least put it in the bank and gained interest. You could have done something. Yeah. But he does nothing. And in the same way, as Christians, we can squander our gifts and our talents and our blessings by not doing anything with them, Yeah, by letting them hide in the ground.
1: Well, in that parable, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Yeah. What made him so, I mean, we know, we know why he's lazy. He didn't do anything. But what makes him wicked? And that is that his expectation was, I will take the gift that was given. I'll do nothing with it. And I'll turn it back in and expect to be rewarded. That's on, wicked. On top of that, he knew. He yeah. knew the expectations of his master.
0: So yeah. he didn't leave it the master didn't leave the servants up to this okay, hey, you don't know anything about me. Right. He knew his <laughs> expectations. And that's that, you know, sure. when when you know what God expects of you and you still don't do it, man, that's mm-hmm. what makes you a wicked servant. And
1: No, please. Finish I was, up.
0: Um this concept yeah. of of being useful shows up time and time again, and one of my favorite things, and when I learned kind of the context of second, First Corinthians 12, it really stood out to me in a new way. In First Corinthians 12, contextually, Paul is giving a list, whether it's exhaustive or not, he's giving a long list of spiritual gifts mm-hmm. that can be imparted to different Christians. And he gives, you know, a, a list of great ones. You know, there's, you know, laying on of hands and being able to... Um, Heal others speaking in tongues. These are right. very out there gifts right. that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. There's the gift of faith Which I don't even have a full understanding of what the miraculous gift of faith is And there's the gift of discernment, right? Uh, these are very inward things that no one really sees but you as an individual have this miraculous gift and so then he he Follows that up by noting how the church is like a body and every body part has Its purpose. Yeah And in verse 15 through 17, he's going to give this list. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So this is in context to the miraculous gifts. If the foot should say to the hand, I'm not of the body, therefore I'm not of the body. Right. He's looking at somebody who might have one of those less, you know, out there gifts. Maybe the miraculous gift of faith. And he says, I'm not a hand who maybe the hand is the miraculous gift to be able to heal somebody or speak in tongues which everybody sees and wants. Right. He says, well, my gift isn't as cool as his gift. Therefore, I'm not a part of the body. He says, no, you are a part of the body. Even though you don't think it is, it's Mm -hmm. still a great gift from God. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to go to the opposite side um, in verse 21. He says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So now he's saying, the person with that great gift can't say to the person with, the gift of discernment, I don't actually need you. No, no, no. All the gifts need each other. All the body needs each other. Right. And it doesn't matter if you don't feel like your gift is good enough or you might see someone else and say, I want that gift. It says, you use your gift. Be useful with what you can do. And that's kind of how the church will grow. And we see that
1: uh, throughout scripture. Excellent. Very good. Well, we've reached the end. Uh, we're, we're looking at these seven churches, and uh, we have observed, if I could just run through the list real quick, some of the, the big pictures uh, from each one. First, we talked about keeping Jesus first from the church at Ephesus. Be faithful unto death from Smyrna. Uh, we've talked about being cautious of inward corruption in Pergamos, not compromising in Thyatira, not, uh, never stop growing in Sardis. Numbers mean nothing when God's on your side in Philadelphia. And finally, be useful in Laodicea. I guess before we go, I'd like to give you an opportunity. you have a final thought or a closing word for this uh, study that might be helpful or encouraging to others?
0: For me, it would just be remember that in each of these letters, God says, I know your works. So he's watching. Mm-hmm. And he's not saying that to be threatening. Right? There's a comfort in that to Philadelphia, who's weak and small that God is watching us and caring for us and that in each of these letters, God's ultimate goal is for them to repent and turn back. Yeah. He who has an ear, let him hear. Mm-hmm. Don't be deaf to it. And so just remember that the, there's a personal uh, aspect to these letters that God would share with us today too if he wrote us a letter. And he would know our works and he would want us, if we're in sin, to repent because God's will is that all man is saved.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, brother, very much for coming in. I'm grateful th- for this. Thanks for having me. You can visit the website pureandsimplebible.com to look at this podcast episode series, all the other episode series that are available for you to look at and find and to listen to. There's a ton of videos on the website. There are workbooks to be downloaded and used. You can also buy print copies of them through my online publisher, Lulu, if you like to have paper copies in hand but I wish that you would go there and take advantage of all the resources that are available to use and download absolutely free. Thank you, Brother Aaron, for coming on the podcast. This is the first time that uh, I've utilized him, and I know it won't be the last. So, Lord willing, we'll get to spend some more time together in the future, and I hope that you would have a wonderful, blessed day. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.